Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to your weekend wrap-up on the Break the Bell podcast. You may or may not notice I am flying solo this weekend because uh, my partner in crime, Bill, could not make it due to some family things that he has, some pre-engagements that he had planned out this week with his family, which is fine. We, we're we uh, we're family men here, so sometimes family stuff comes up and we got to work around it. But as always, we're going to just keep this ball rolling and keep giving you the news that we promise you every week because a lot of shit is going on in the world. A lot of things across this country. Um, we can't just... Uh, we can't just uh, let a week go by without uh, sharing it with you guys because, I mean, that's what we do. That's what we're here for. Um, we're primarily here to express our freedom of speech and then also kind of give you the rundown of what's going on. Before we do that, speaking of freedom of speech, though, it is time for my uh, coffee fix of the day. Coffee fix of freedom, as I like to call it. Which I actually already had my coffee this morning, so I'm not drinking it right now. I didn't get a chance to make more. Um, I drank a whole entire pot this morning. But this show is brought to you once again by Run Your Mouth Coffee at rymcoffee.com. Run Your Mouth Coffee is a company that is promoters of free speech, your constitutional rights, all your constitutional rights. Um, Again, it's founded by... John Odermatt of the Lions of Liberty podcast and Ben Pangy of the Homeschools and Homestead podcast. And they are both big promoters of free speech, as are we. And as I always say, if uh, if you like free speech, if you like coffee, uh, definitely check out rymcoffee.com. Use the promo code BREAKTHEBELL to tell them that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off of your order, plus free shipping. Once again, support companies that support free speech because there's not a lot of them out there these days that seem to like fully support your your free speech and your your rights to uh say whatever the hell's on your mind. I mean, again, there are there are some con- consequences to saying stupid shit, but uh, my my go-to uh instructions for free speech have always just been don't be a dick. Don't be a dick to people. Um but but promote people's right, I guess, to be a dick. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I support free speech. So go to rymcoffee.com, promo code break the bell, and get some delicious uh, fresh roasted coffee. Got that out of the way. It's time to, to get into this week's show. It's always interesting flying solo because I don't have bill over there to uh laugh at my jokes my my cheesy jokes or or to kind of fill in as i i take a drink of something like this so there'll be awkward pauses you'll probably hear my my slurping sounds and and all that stuff so we'll get through it though we're gonna push right through it um it's been kind of a a nice nice change of pace in the weather um it it's finally not like 20 degrees or lower or zero degrees. So, man, it, it I mean, it's been raining, but I, I, I'd take rain and warm weather over, like, freezing-ass cold any day of the week. Um, so I, I had a chance to finally pull my motorcycle out last night and um, blow the dust out of it and, and take it out for a couple minutes, so that was nice. We also got baseball season coming up on 
well, spring training already started, but um, I haven't had a chance to get watch any of those because they don't actually at, uh, show a lot of those on TV. But regular season starts April first, so I'm I'm thinking about taking a full day off work just to to uh, watch that first. Um, opening season game that starts at 3 o'clock, which is two hours before I get off work. So I will miss a good chunk of that game if if I uh, actually work a full day. So thinking about taking a full day off work for that. I haven't told Bill that, but I'm I'm sure he'd approve. I, I know he's taken off work for, um, for Steelers football games, so I, I think he'd be okay with that. I, if you don't know, Bill is a co-worker on our actual day jobs, too, or as I, I would prefer to call my side job, the one that actually makes me money. So, um, yeah, baseball's coming up. I'm super excited. I might be a much happier person once baseball gets going um, because that's kind of my sanctuary is kicking back with a beer and and watching a good Car- St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. I'm a di- diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan, if, uh, if you haven't found that out already. Started back in... Um, 2004 because I worked at this factory for the summer and there was this guy I I worked on one machine so I was always in the same spot but there's a setup guy that would go machine to machine machine setting them up so he couldn't stay in one spot this was before the days of smartphones and uh, being able to just throw an ear like wireless bluetooth earbuds I don't even think bluetooth was really a thing back then So you kind of just throw in wireless Bluetooth earbuds and listen to the game streamed on your phone because that wasn't a thing. So people actually still listened to the radio, listen to sports games on the radio, which is is kind of bizarre to even think about in 2021. So one day when I was working on my machine, this guy comes in and he brings in this little portable radio, plants it on the desk next to my machine, and he says, you're going to listen to this Cardinals game. And every time I come around, you need to give me updates on everything that's going on. So I did. And I did it the entire summer of 2004. And I got to know all the players. And I, I wasn't really even into baseball before that. I didn't really hardly even know much about baseball. But I got to know all the players. got to know the ins and outs of the game and stuff just by giving him updates all summer long. That year, he was like... You know, if the Cardinals go to the World Series this year, I'm buying you tickets and we're going to go. And I was like, great. And the Cardinals did go to the World Series, but I moved away before that happened. So I was a little upset about that. But that is how I became a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And I guess on the same note, a Chicago Cubs hater. So if you're a Chicago Cubs fan, I hate you. I appreciate you listening, but I hate you so, so very much. Um, most mostly joking, but um, that that is how I got into baseball, and I've been kind of a diehard Cardinals fan ever since. So I'm excited for baseball to get going. But that's not what we're here to talk about. You you probably are like, why the fuck is he talking about this? We usually do some pre-show banter, so thought I'd get that out of the way uh, before we get into this week's news. Lots of shit going on. The first thing I want to talk about is this uh, Suez Canal shipping mishap this massive cargo ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal and blocking <laughs> blocking traffic and slowing down shipping for basically the entire world i'm going to pull up this article that talks a little bit about it this is from USA today 
Let's see here. So this says, this is from USA Today. It says, dredging crews are moving massive amounts of sand to free a skyscraper-sized container ship stuck sideways in the Suez Canal, one of the world's busiest shipping routes. The salvage company will try to free the ship Saturday using large tugboats and dredging during a high tide, the AP reported. And I saw images of this. You had like the little uh, backhoe type. I mean, they're, they're pretty big backhoe type diggers, but this ship is literally as long as um, skyscrapers are tall. It's longer, I think, than, um, oh shit, what's the, the Eiffel Tower in, in, in France? They showed it like side by side with all these buildings, and it is longer than the Eiffel Tower is tall. So when you get these little backhoes trying to dig this thing out, it just looks, it's just laughable to see. It's just like, that's not going to do shit. So it says uh, the salvage company tries to free the ship using tugboats and dredging during high tide. Um, at least two attempts will be made. Salvagers are also considering moving containers of the ship to lighten it and make it easier to move. I would think that would be the first thing that they would try is get all the cargo off of it so it's lighter and it will float a little better. That just seems like common sense, but apparently common sense must not go too far if they're now just deciding to do that. This is a 1,312-foot, 200,000-metric-ton ship named Ever Given, nearly a quarter mile long, created a shipper's nightmare and captured the public's imagination when it blocked the canal on Tuesday and caused a traffic jam of more than 200 ships as of Friday. And that's way higher now. I've heard there's there's much more than the 200 now. An attempt to refloat the ship Friday failed, said Bernhardt Schultz Ship Management, the company that manages the vessel. CNN said the U.S. Navy has offered uh, offered to assist. So let's see size comparison. How the Ever Given would compare to the National Mall? Here's a here's a map. Here's the National um, Mall, which is the area the U.S. Capitol sits in, and the ship is almost as long as the National Mall area in Washington. It says, how did this happen? The Ever Given is stuck near the Egyptian city of Suez, about 3.7 miles north of the canal's southern entrance. It's in a narrow section of the canal, about 985 feet wide. So when you get a how many 1,300-foot-long ship stuck sideways in a 900-some-foot canal, 985-foot canal, it, it's probably going to get stuck. Owners say a high wind and a sandstorm pushed the ship sideways, wedging it into both banks of the waterway. Containers stacked on deck may have acted as a sail. The bow is aground in the eastern bank, and the stern is on the western. So here's kind of a satellite image of it. You can see it um, from space. Oh, wow, this is a graphic. Like a, this is a, uh, an animated graphic. It shows the ship moving through the Red Sea into the Suez Canal, going up the Suez Canal, where it hits the winds and turns about 45 degrees and gets stuck on March 23rd. Thank you for that graphic. The AP reported that at least 200 ships carrying everything from cars to oil to grain wait at the canal's northern and southern entrances. It said an analysis by data firm Refinitiv show more than 300 ships were en route to the canal over the next two weeks. 
So we're looking at, it was 200 ships and 280 ships, and then 300 are en route. So that's redirecting over 500 ships. At least 10 tugboats have been brought in to reposition and refloat the vessel. Authorities disagree on how long the canal will be blocked. The ship's owner, Shu Kisen, said its goal was to free the vessel by the night of March 27th, which was last night. And as far as I know, it hasn't been um, freed yet. Egyptian presidential advisor told agents France Press on March 26th that the traffic will resume within 48 to 72 hours. However, the CEO of the dredging company said the operation could take weeks. So the people, the experts here are saying, no, you're full of shit, man. There's no way we're going to get this thing out of here in 48 to 72 hours. We're talking weeks here. So you can see here how this would really be a disruption of shipping of global levels because I guarantee you um, this route is pretty pretty big uh, area for uh, international trade to ship up and down through the air, the Egyptian area there. The uncertainty has forced some shippers to alter course and take the longer alternative route around the Cape of Good Hope in Africa. That's quite an excessive detour. It says it's adding weeks to the destination. I had seen up to nine days difference. So it's not going to stop shipment, but it is going to add up to nine days. So um, as far as global trade is concerned, I, I wonder what the impact is going to be felt like in Europe or here if um, we're having to add nine days uh, of shipping due to this this blockage in the Suez Canal. I, I'm not sure how much um, U.S. trade goes up the Suez Canal, but I, I can guarantee you some does. The uncertainty has forced some shippers to alter course, like I said, um, adding weeks to the destination and increasing fears of piracy. There's apparently a lot of piracy going around the the tail of Africa down there. So there's been lots of fears of piracy that I've been hearing um, with cargo having to get redirected around Africa. Some have contacted the U.S. Navy about increased security. That's interesting. Um, officials are under great pressure to remove the ship. So, again, this, this ship here, lodged at 45-degree angle, um, it says, you can see in the big letters there, big white letters on a green ship, it says Evergreen. It's owned by Evergreen Marine Company or something like that, which I'm almost positive is a Chinese shipping company. And let me let me double check that before I go out and um, start running my mouth, because I like to at least have some of my facts correct when um, when I run my mouth on this show, even though a lot of times we get shit wrong. We have to go back and correct ourselves. That I mean, that happens. The The big news companies do it, and they pretend like it doesn't happen. So I feel like um, I feel like I can do have a, a few errors here and there, but I, I like to at least get my facts straight. So the Evergreen Marine Company is Chinese. It's a Taiwanese container transportation and shipping company headquartered in uh, Taiwan, Taiyo, Taiyuan City, Taiwan. Taiwan City, Taiwan. Interesting. So it is Taiwanese. And it, like I said, it's the big green letters 
on the side, uh, or big white letters on the side of this big green ship. Um, something I found interesting today is in China, so this new photo's been going around. Um, in China, there was this semi-truck that got stuck on the this major expressway in China. And here's the picture. A big green semi-truck with the white letters evergreen blasted across it, stuck at a 45-degree angle, blocking traffic in the middle of China. I don't know what this means. I don't know. I mean, coincidence? Who knows? I know the, the Evergreen company came out and said, hey, that's not us because we don't even own semi-trailers. That's not our thing. We're a shipping company. That's not our thing. We don't, we don't do that. So it's just a coincidence. Exact replication, except on a road and with a truck, 45-degree angle, stuck, blocking all this traffic, major, major traffic intersection here, happens to be this blasted green truck with a white logo, Evergreen. Looks like the exact same logo, in my opinion. Um, so what's going on here? Is this just a coincidence, mere coincidence? Is this a conspiracy? Like, y'all know my brain likes to go to straight to the conspiracy theories. I try to keep them at bay for this show. This isn't a conspiracy theory podcast as of now. Um, so what's going on here, though? I'm trying to see when this ship actually um, got stuck, if it was before or after. According to information from Traffic Monitor, the accident occurred shortly before 9.55 a.m. today. So this was um, after, from what it looks like. Yeah, so very interesting to me, and especially after having our our show with Mark Claire where he basically said that um, any story that goes viral was not probably not an accident. Whether or not the incident was an accident, the fact that it goes viral is not an accident. Um, the fact that this Taiwanese ship got stuck at a 45-degree angle, and then days later, a semi-truck with the letters blasted evergreen got stuck at a 45-degree angle in China— just gets my uh, crazy brain going. And my first thought is this, and obviously this is probably absolutely crazy. Most likely this is absolutely crazy. Most likely this is a coincidence, but that's not where my brain automatically goes. My brain goes to, what if this is like China saying, hey, we did that. This is, that was us. This is kind of uh, um, their way of showing the the world or or taking taking credit for the fact that this ship um completely disrupted global trade in the Suez Canal. What if it was their way? Because I mean, we all know that um there there's kind of some some serious tension between China and the US and other um US allies going on right now. What if China was saying, "Hey, look look what we can do to disrupt trade." You think um you think you can put embargoes on us, or you can put you can uh, flex muscle on us? Look what look what we're capable of. Or even if it wasn't them responsible for the the ship disrupting, what if they're taking either a taking credit for it, or b kind of making a mockery of it with this um, this 
very public image of this truck at a 45-degree angle blocking traffic on this freeway, this expressway in China. I don't know. That's where my brain goes. I mean, like I said, we've been having tensions with them back and forth. I mean, everybody's pointing at, oh, this was just an accident, this was just the wind, and maybe China's coming out and being like, bitches, this wasn't an accident. Look what we did. Look at this thing that we did. Um, and this this truck on the freeway is just a billboard of them um, advertising that the, this was was them being responsible for it. I'm not saying that's the case, but that's where my brain goes. And um, this being my show, you, sometimes you get to hear where my crazy brain goes with all of this madness. Speaking of madness in relation to this, though, when I was looking up articles for this, an article, again, from USA Today popped up that said, and this just freaking got my mind going crazy. I haven't even read this article yet. I'm going to read it for you so you can get my reaction with me and you can react at the same time I did. The headline's what caught my attention. It says, a ship that is stuck and blocking traffic in the Suez Canal is a human trafficking vessel connected to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. The, the actual title of the article is, this is what it says, fact check, no evidence of Hillary Clinton link with the ship stuck in the Suez Canal. There's no evidence of the Hillary Clinton link to a ship stuck in the Suez Canal or trafficking. All of a sudden, my mind's like, I didn't even realize that was even being considered as an option here. But for a major news source to come out and be like, no, there's not evidence of Hillary Clinton being linked to this or human trafficking. It's just like, oh, fuck, what's going on now? Or I, I, I have to know more. I mean, if you don't want the conspiracy theorists' brains to go crazy and start digging into the shit, don't post things like this that are like, no, there's not evidence of this. Because this whole time, I didn't even think there was evidence of it. But now I'm starting to wonder... What the hell is actually going on here? So the claim, it says, is that a ship is stuck and blocking traffic in the Suez Canal, and it's a human trafficking vessel connected to former Sec Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Hang on. A shipping vessel that could clog the Suez Canal for weeks is the latest piece added to an ever-evolving conspiracy theory about former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and other members of the so-called deep state uh, and links to human trafficking. Communication tra uh, channels where, of course, QAnon conspiracy theories. I mean, every conspiracy theory now, even, even that um, thing with the semi-truck that I said is a, <clears throat> I mean, a minor conspiracy theory, but that if that comes out as a theory... They'll call it a QAnon conspiracy theory because, I mean, that's how you uh, debunk anything is you just throw that word out there. And then you start canceling shows that, that mention it. So this show, this episode, may or may not get canceled just because I read that in this article. It says, communication channels where the conspiracy theories spread were humming this week about a connection between Clinton and the quarter-mile-long ship that ran around as high winds cut across the canal. Those seeped into mainstream social media as well, including posts on Facebook and Instagram where users tied Clinton's Secret Service codename to the ship and suggested its radio call sign intentionally matched Clinton's initials. Interesting. Well, this just gets more interesting by the second. 
Facebook user who shared the post did not respond to a request for comment. It speculates without evidence that Evergreen is most likely a cover for human and sex trafficking. Others pushing the same theory alluded to containers being opened on television to reveal trafficked people inside. I did not see those containers. I might have to look more. Is the latest potential disclosure related to the QAnon conspiracy theory that says former President Trump, Donald Trump was elected to thwart a deep state cabal of pedophiles and cannibals, including the Clintons? Again, let's let's just throw everything at straight crazy to make all the rest of conspiracy theories look like nonsense. How does the conspiracy theory connect to Hillary Clinton and the ship? At about a quarter of a mile long, the ship was built in 2018 as one of the world's largest, according to the Associated Press. First got lodged in the canal at about 7.45, March 23rd, halting traffic. We, we read that. Conspiracy theory goes like this. The ship that is stuck in the canal, the Ever Given, is owned by Taiwan-based Evergreen Marine and carries the radio call sign H3RC. You can see there, HRC is Hillary Rodham Clinton. So I, I, I see that connection. Coincidence, probably. Clinton's Secret Service codename is Evergreen. I did not know that. And her initials are HRC. So the fact that both of those exist as a coincidence are the most bizarre. I'm sorry, I did not share the screen. But if you're listening, who cares anyway? Those pushing the theory connect the ship to human trafficking, but provide no evidence. Evergreen did not respond to requests for comment. CNN reported in 16 that Clinton, the Democratic nominee for president, was keeping the codename assigned to her when she was first name or first lady. Codenames for the president's family generally start with the same letter as the president's moniker. For example, Bill Clinton's code was Eagle, of course, and Hillary Clinton's was Evergreen. Evergreen Marine was established in 68 while Clinton was still in college. Evergiven's call sign indeed is H3RC, but the initials are a coincidence as well. The fact that both of them exist, though, are bizarre to me. Yes, I can get that H3RC and HRC is a coincidence, and the fact that Evergreen and her codename Evergreen are a coincidence, but the fact that the call sign and the name Evergreen both tie to her. That I mean, what are what are the odds, really? The International Telecommunications Union in Geneva regulates call signs, so they're saying, well, they didn't, they don't come up with these on their own. Some other agency, outside agency, comes up with it. So, I mean, goes into other other conspiracy theories. I, I don't have time to dig. I want to just dig completely into these theories. Like I said, I just saw the title that said, fact check, no, Hillary Clinton and human trafficking is not linked to the ship. And I'm like, oh, dear God, I didn't even know that was an option. But now I'm going to have to dig more. This This I just found minutes before I hit record here. So like I said, I didn't have time to even read into it. So I wanted you to experience my reaction at the same time. That goes back to, again, what Mark Clare was talking about. Like, is there a such thing really as coincidences? I mean, yes, there are, there are coincidences, but this is bizarre and needs, needs more attention from us um, actual, like, conspiracy enthusiasts. No, I'm not 
some uh, QAnon conspiracy crazy person that thinks Donald Trump was the savior of the world and was put on earth to take out the Clintons. No, I don't believe that at all. But I believe fishy things happen and um, the real stories are probably never usually told to us. And I, I think there there is a dark side in the world that um, <laughs> that they try to cover up with media and things like that. So, so we'll keep an eye on that, and uh, maybe I'll talk more about that in bonus. Um, so, if you want you want to hear that in bonus, um, go to our Patreon site and sign up at, for a bonus level and get bonus content, which I need to get better at releasing bonus content. I'll have to I'll have to dig into this tonight and release some bonus talking about this Hillary Clinton conspiracy. Moving on, though, because um, we don't have all the time in the world, uh, so much stuff is going on that it's kind of hard to keep things within a certain time limit. Like, I don't like to just scratch the surface of stories. I don't just like to brush by them. But I don't think there's too many people that would actually listen to a five-hour podcast. So I try to keep it limited. I try to keep the weekend wrap-up limited to an hour. And that's actually why we started the weekend wrap up because we found we wanted to dig into some of uh, some like serious topics like we do on the main episode, but we also want to cover what's going on around the world as a current events podcast. And we're finding as we're trying to throw the current events in with the main topic, we could barely even scratch the surface of the main topic. So that's why we split it up into two. We have the weekend wrap up digging into the current events around the world, and then we have our now live-streamed main event, um, which we we stream live at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time every Monday night. So make sure you check that out because that's a fun time. We do have an opportunity for call-ins and for comments, for questions, all that stuff. We've been getting some guests on. Uh, This week we have, because start before I say who this is, there's been a massive amount of media coverage on shootings in the last couple weeks. With uh, We've got the Atlanta shooting with the, the Asians, which was, they tried to say it was Asian hate. Then they tried to say it was misogyny. I don't know what they're saying now. We have just recently in Colorado, the shooting, which they tried to say was a white guy. Then it turned into... Um, some Middle Eastern guy. And then now we have this Virginia Beach shooting uh, just within the last day or two where two people were killed. I, I think three people were arrested and 10 people were shot. So I'm not going to get into those shootings. I'm not going to get into um, all the gun control propositions or the the proposals going on in government talking about, oh, we need... The, the Obama um, era mantra of uh, what what common sense gun tr- gun control laws. We need common sense gun laws. I, I heard Biden saying that uh, over the last week. It's just like, wow, that sounds familiar. That sounds directly taken out of the Obama handbook, the common sense gun laws. And I think even Obama got up and gave a speech talking about uh, gun laws this week, too. And now... Um, so there's there's a gun law on the table 
in the house. I think it might have got passed in the house. I got to dig a little more for tomorrow's episode. Um, but it has to go to Senate, and it has to get 60% of the vote, which they will not get. There's no way in hell they'll get 60% of the vote on this gun bill. Um, so now they're pushing Biden to enact an executive order on gun control. Let's see where that goes. But again, this is not a conversation for today. I'm pushing that to tomorrow's main episode, main live stream episode, because we are having on a very special guest. Her name is Carrie Sloan. So she she's the founder of We the Female, which is a women's self-defense advocacy and education um, group. She's a, a defensive mindset and certified firearms instructor. She's a national and professional speaker and a published author. She's a civic civics advocate and educator. Her name, like I said, is Carrie Sloan, and she's going to be on our show to talk about gun control, to talk about all these incidences that are going on right now. Um, so got that to look forward to. Check her out on wethefemale.net. Um, Check her out all over social media. Otherwise, uh, tune in to tomorrow's episode as she comes on. She's a promoter of all of our constitutional rights, specifically gun rights. So she she fits right in with um, what we push here on the show. So check check that episode out. Do not miss it. Again, that's at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, Monday, which is tomorrow. So um, we're going to dig in. We're going to pick her brain on all the stuff that's going on with all these shootings, with all this stuff with uh, proposed gun orders, these executive orders that they're trying to push uh, Joe Biden to enact, which I don't think he has the balls himself to even propose. I think this is coming from much more <laughs> higher up there positions, the people pulling his strings, uh, the the people that um, he owes favors to. So we'll see where that's going to go. But um, this episode's going to get interested because I'm sure she is as pissed off about some of these proposals as we are. Um, so we'll get to to hear her express her mind on that. Um, if you are easily offended, check it out anyway. I mean, she, like I said, she's she's not the the most politically correct individual. I've listened to other episodes of hers, and so. Um, yeah, if if you don't like some some naughty words, I don't know why you're listening to the show in the first place because we say the naughty words. Um, so yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to get Carrie on the show tomorrow. So definitely get here to check that out. Otherwise, I I'm going to move away from the gun stuff because again, I that's we're going to focus tomorrow's entire episode on that stuff. So that's why we're not focusing on the shootings. That's why we're not focusing on the gun orders today because we already have a whole show planned for it. So we're going to move on from with more Joe Biden bullshit because there's plenty of it going around. Plenty of it to go around in uh, today's society. So I've got this video. Apparently Joe Biden finally came out and gave his very first like official press conference where he actually answered questions from the press, which is interesting because you think as president you would do that quite often. But instead he's been relying on his press secretary, John, John, Jen Psaki, Saki, Saki, whatever we're calling her. I need to figure out how to pronounce that because I keep butchering it. She's been, um, giving everybody, buddy, the runaround for the last three and a half months, three months. So, 
he's finally come out and given his first press conference, and people are giving him a bunch of shit for it, because mostly because of this little clip here from the video. So let me pull this one up and let you see it. Hang on. I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I'm, we're ready to get a lot done. I'm going to say something outrageous, he starts out with, and then he goes on to fumble over himself, to stumble over himself, and then completely forget what outrageous thing he was going to say. I'm going to say something outrageous. Uh, when you, when you want to get something done and it's near and dear to your heart, and uh, well, anyway, we're going to get stuff done. That's not outrageous, Joe. That's not that outrageous for you to say. I'm sorry, but it's not. And um, people will give us shit, I'm sure, for making fun of an elderly man who forgets his train of thought, which, I mean, if that's the the worst thing that happened in this press conference, that's not that big of a deal. I've watched part of the press conference, and this is the only part that I've seen where he's actually completely lost his train of thought and gone off the rails with, with his train of thought. But this is what's getting portrayed all over the media. This was the highlight of his... Um, his address here, his his press conference. And again, we, we talked about this last week of how the media is being allowed to portray this president as the weakest president in history. I mean, they're not saying it, but when you're seeing him trip up the stairs, nobody's jumping to his aid. You're seeing him fumble over his words in his first press conference, the first one in three months, which is has got to be a record for a president to not give a single public uh, press conference for three months, which I'm sure they're saying, well, he, well, he's a busy man. But but that's part of the job. Like, the world needs to see, especially a, a leader that his strength is already questioned by at least half of the country. You got to put him up in front and show that he's a strong leader because— the theories are swarming around that the only reason they're not getting him in front of the camera, well, two reasons, either A, he's dead or incapacitated, or B, they, he can't handle the press. And it shows right here, well, at least at least this is how he's being portrayed, that um, he can't handle um, a, a stressful situation like a press conference. And moving on with that, um, you have actual reporters coming out and calling this a disgraceful press conference. Um, this is from thehill.com, and it says, the disgrace that was by the Biden press conference. We're going to have to make this quick because I will run out of time. i got a couple other things to talk about still. So I won't read this whole article. I just want to hit on a couple key parts of it. It says, President Biden called on 10 reporters to answer 30-some questions during... Um, during his long-awaited first formal press conference on Thursday. But the hour-plus event was a disgrace for some in the press and a dubious performance by the president. 
The questions for the president were meek and vague, failing to extract any specific information about policies or solutions to the myriad of problems faced by the administration. Take, for example, this activism disguised as a question from PBS's Yamik Alcindor on why the president needs to abolish the filibuster in the name of racial equality while combating evil Republicans in their effort to prevent minorities from voting, or something like that. So that wasn't the exact statement, but this is the Hill's translation of it. This is, he says, when it comes to the filibuster, immigration is a big issue, of course, related to the filibuster, but there's also Republicans who are passing bill after bill trying to restrict voting rights. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is calling it in an ex- existential threat to democracy. Everything's an existential threat to democracy these days. If you don't like it, it's an existen- existential threat to democracy. If you don't like the way the president wears his hair, his hair is an existential threat to democracy. That's how you get people on your side to get outraged about something, is by calling it a threat to democracy. Not everything in the world is a threat to democracy, just so you know. Like, the bills being passed by Republicans for voter ID and, and things like that aren't a threat to democracy. There are a lot of things out there that you disagree with, But that doesn't mean it's—I mean, if democracy is that fragile that anything can be considered an existential threat to democracy, then then we have an issue here. Says um, Alcindor, who plays an objective journalist on TV—it doesn't say he is a journalist, it says he plays it. So he's an actor, apparently. Said to the president after being the second reporter chosen by Biden's handlers for him to call on, why not back a filibuster rule— that at least gets around issues, including voting rights or immigration. Uh, Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, um, this person saying that Jim Clyburn, someone, of course, who you know very well, has backed the idea of a filibuster rule when it comes to civil rights and voting rights. So what are they saying? Um, When it comes to civil rights and voting rights, the rule should be no filibuster? Says that's not even bias in broad daylight. That's outright activism in pressing the president on national television to move forward with abolishing the filibuster to advance an agenda she supports. Um, so it goes on. And I, before I move on, I want to point out that it says uh, back up here. It talks about um, him being the him or her. I'm not sure being the second reporter chosen by Biden's handlers for him to call upon. We can't just brush past that because this is another thing that's going around in the media is the the hand-picked um, press personnel that were allowed to ask questions to Biden because uh, probably because they would be the, the law balls that uh, Biden can handle or um, they would address the issues that his handlers, I guess, as they're calling them, want addressed. So I have this picture. Let me see if I can find it. So this is a picture of Biden's cheat sheet. And people are making this huge deal that— some people are making this deal that, well, obviously he's not that mentally all there. If he has to have his cheat sheet of all the the press people so he can look back on it and um, know who he's talking to. That's not a big deal to me. And he doesn't he's not trying to hide that because you can see in the press conference 
when he goes to call on somebody, he picks up his paper and he's like, um, um, uh, Sylvia Johnson of so-and-so, go ahead. So, I mean, the fact that he doesn't remember everybody's name in there, and it looks like there's at least, like, probably 30 reporters in there, on, on the sheet, at least, that I'm showing. The part that gets to me is he has specific ones numbered, like one, I see a one, a two, nine, eight, and you see other ones circled, you can't see the numbers on them. And there's other markings on here. So they're very specifically picked out reporters that he and specifically the order it looks like of what he's going to pick to call on them to ask questions in. It's almost like they were planned and scheduled to so he could have a um you know, like a, a already thought out response, a planned response to it. So it's not like he's shooting off the cuff or having to give, like, be put on the spot or anything. These were hand-selected, as the article says. Otherwise, why would they be numbered? Why would there be a specific order here and specific ones um, uh, singled out out of all of them? They don't want somebody uh, throwing them off or, or having that gotcha moment with him because um, they want him to appear... Like he can handle an event like this, a press conference like this. Like I said, the the theory is that he can't. Otherwise, why hasn't he in the last three months? So they get him out to do this public statement with questions, but they hand-select the people that are allowed to ask questions. You think if they hand-selected the people, you don't think they possibly might have hand-selected the questions that they're allowed to ask? So that that part's the part that bothered me the most about all of this is, no, this is not a public um, press conference where everyone's allowed to ask questions. Only a certain small amount of people here are allowed to even ask a question, and it probably be better damn well be the questions they tell them to ask. So it goes on to say, the reporters could have quoted Biden himself instead of quoting Schumer and Clyburn, but the, the goal was to shape a narrative and push the president even further to the left. Overall, the press didn't seem very interested in fact-checking the president on an array of whoppers, including, including Biden's claim that we're sending back the mass majority of families who are coming to the U.S. border, which the fact is 13% of families are being sent back, according to a recent report. Biden also claims the idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do, if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let them starve to death, and stay on the other side. No previous administrations did either, except Trump. Uh, yeah, the, and it says, in quotes, the fact is the 46th president accused the 45th president with millions at home watching of starving children to death at the border, which did not happen. There are no documented deaths of starvation. Uh, so that's clearly... Um, clearly the, this article is biased to the right, and they don't like Biden, which which we, we got to get both sides of this. But um, again, I'll save the, the border stuff because um, I got some stuff to talk about the border here before the end. That, that'll be the thing I wrap up with is this Biden border crisis. Another claim of Biden in his conference is truth of the matter is nothing has changed. As many people come, 28% increase in the children to the border in my administration, 31% in the last year in 2019 before the pandemic. In the Trump administration, 
It happens every single solitary year. There's a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January. In February and March, it happens every year. Um, again, we're talking about border stuff. So um, s- seems like he focused a lot on the border. The, the fact it says, as overall border officials say, the U.S. will take in more than 17,000 minors this month alone. That is unprecedented, yet the president and his press secretary continue to refuse to call this a crisis. Again, I'll talk about that crisis in a little bit. It says, regarding optics, the president largely depended on multi-page notes that he curiously took with him to the podium. No president in the modern era has ever done that before. Again, that's because... These were hand-selected reporters to ask hand-selected questions that he had pages and pages and pages of notes written out so he could read from his notes and not go off script. Because you see, when he goes off script, he loses his train of thought and completely, like, shuts down. And then he has to go, if you watch, he he goes back to his notes to kind of um, (laughs) jumpstart his brain again says, no president in the modern area has done that before, and when Biden began thumbing through his notes before slowly reading from them at times, it was uncomfortable to watch, considering he is the leader of the free world. It was very likely sent a, it very likely sent a clear message to our adversaries in China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea regarding the commander-in-chief's uh, command of his own policies and worldview. It would have been nice for one reporter in the room to ask why he needed that kind of assistance, especially considering his nearly five decades in Washington. Ultimately, there were plenty of fair, relevant, specific questions that could have been asked. For instance, Mr. President, you tapped your vice president to lead the effort to solve the crisis on the border, yet she has compared immigration and customs enforcement to KKK and called on illegal crossings to decriminalization. When asked this week if she was planning on visiting the border, she laughed. How does that sentiment, the perspective, make her qualified to address the solve this crisis? So this is a question they should have asked. So again, this is just opinions from them. But all this to say, he's not looking like the strong world leader that the country needs in front of them. When you have uh, Vladimir Putin calling on Biden to have a public debate between the two of them, where people can ask free questions, and your first public address is this very scripted, uh, I guess you could call it a press conference, but where there's there it would appear there's plants in the audience. It, it's like when you go to those like uh, uh, motivational seminars, and um, they you see on TV and stuff where there's the motivational seminars and you have the plants in the in the crowd that ask the specific questions or you go to a, a magic show even you go to a magic show and the person wants to saw a person in half and they're like let's get somebody from the cr- crowd and they pick a plant in the crowd that knows the trick that knows <laughs> that that could probably bend themselves backwards or do something crazy so to make the illusion happen we have these plants in the the press to make the illusion uh, look real, but he did a very bad job of um, displaying the illusion. He he didn't the follow through just wasn't there because there's so much going around in the media showing the illusion, showing how um, the plants were there, showing. 
um, with the notes that these questions were probably very well planned out, making it appear the opposite, May, not making it appear like he can handle himself in a, a spontaneous public situation, but he has to have everything planned out for him. Again, was that intentional to make him look weak, or um, is are they trying to make him look stronger than he actually is, and he, he just can't even make that happen? I don't know. I want to give the guy some credit, but there's not a lot of credit to give. Again, I, I don't like making fun of an elderly human who has, like, um, lowered mental capacities, but when it is the leader of the free nation, the the most powerful country in the world, you have to have somebody that portrays some for, version of strength. And the media isn't showing strength anywhere with him. The The most strength they've showed in the last three months is him signing all the executive orders. That's it. Like, they put something in front of him, and he signs it. And they're like, oh, look how great of a president he is. He's he's a modern-day FDR. I mean, he, look at all the thing, the the dangerous Donald Trump policies that he's undone. He He's done more in the last, like, 60 days to, to combat, um, I don't know, I don't know. But when you look, when you actually look at his public persona, when it's not, when it's off script just in the least bit. I mean, he's not coming off as anything of a strong leader. And we call this from day from day one when he announced he was going to run for president. It's just like, that's not the, this is not the president we need. That's not the, the strong leader we need. But here we are sitting here today. Who knows? I mean, we got people predicting that, um, He's going to get taken out in the next couple months, and they're going to instate um, Kamala Harris into the position, which might be why she hasn't been as public lately, because they don't want to get people pissed off at her, or they want her to sweep in and clean up the damage. Well, who knows? We'll, we'll find out. So that leaves me with uh, the last topic that I had, which is this um, border crisis with Joe Biden, because we he heard for— months and months and months that there were um, kids in cages with, with Donald Trump. For years, actually. Kids in cages. That's all you heard. Well, do you like kids in cages? No. Oh, you don't like kids in cages? Then don't vote for Donald Trump because Donald Trump puts kids in cages. However, from what it sounds like, there are more kids in these shelters at the border than ever before. And um, some, some senators went down there to check it out, and one being Ted Cruz, because Ted Cruz didn't get enough credit for his last trip to Mexico with the, um, after the, the freeze, in Mexico, or freeze in Texas when he decided to take his family on a vacation to Mexico and leave all his constituents to freeze and without power. So uh, Ted Cruz decided to make yet another trip to the Mexican border to get pictures of the crisis going on down there. So I got a couple things here. Uh, one is from Fox News, but the one, and then one is from CNN. The CNN one talks against Ted Cruz's message, and Fox News is obviously for it. I won't read a lot of them, but um, I feel like we got to get both sides of the story here. Hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. 
says uh, the Fox News one says uh, GOP senators reveal shocking images of migrants and babies packed in border facilities. Sounds familiar. They're not quite yelling kids in cages, but you see where it's going. Says this is inhumane. It's wrong and. It is the direct consequence of policy decisions by the Biden administration to stop building the wall, to return to the catch and release, and to end the stay in Mexico policy, Senator Ted Cruz said in a press conference. Here's some of the pictures you see, like, here, let me pull this up if it'll allow it. This is a Twitter post from Ted Cruz. So you see these tons of what appears to be children under the space blankets, like you see on... Like, you have an emergency kit that's basically like a sheet of aluminum foil. And they're in the, like, just crammed into these uh, facilities. So it says, the 19-person delegation led by Senator Cruz and John Cornyn of Texas toured a facility in Donna where migrants have been packed into facilities designed for many fewer migrants. Cruz told reporters that the facilities were designed for 25 or 250 migrants and had nearly 4,000. So that's quite quite considerable difference. Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming accused the Biden administration of bringing a tragedy to the nation and said that the that agents told them that Biden had made their job more difficult. They told us their job got a lot harder on January 20th when Biden became president of the United States. Cruz, meanwhile, posted images of migrants crammed into pens almost on top of one another. So they're not saying kids in cages. They're saying kids in pens because um, they have to have it a little bit different. They can't just completely steal the story of the other side when a new president comes in. Cruz, meanwhile, posted images of kids crammed in pens. At the press conference, he referred to cages after cages. So I guess he did go the cages route. He just went for it. Not just cages, but cages after cages. Says a nod to the accusation leveled at President Trump that his administration kept kids in cages. He also said the Donna facility had 10% COVID positivity rate, much higher than the U.S. average. Senators who spoke to Border Patrol and other officials said the authorities were overwhelmed by the numbers, something that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas also said. Uh, The Border Patrol and Health and Human Service and non-governmental organizations that are struggling to deal with this flood of humanity tell us they can't get ahead of this flood of humanity without policy change in Washington, D.C. The visit to Donna followed a nighttime tour of the border where a senator said they were heckled and taunted by smugglers and traffickers. That sounds like something out of a fucking movie. They're They're just hanging out there, taunting these two senators that went on a tour. That doesn't seem staged at all. A photo provided to Fox News by Barrasso's office shows Senator Barrasso, John Hoven of um, North Dakota, and Tom Cotton of Arkansas on a boat patrol along the Rio Grande Valley. There it is. So I'm not going to read too much more in this article. The one I did want to get into was It says two separate lawmaker trips to the border highlight different messages on immigration. So again, two sides, two stories. This is from CNN. So obviously it's going to have another story because they're saying this is just run over from uh, Donald Trump's policies, which, again, it's been three fucking months. So 
if there were horrible policies at the border, they're not going to get solved in three months. It says, two separate groups of lawmakers traveled to Texas on Friday to spotlight the surge of unaccompanied minors crossing the U.S.-Mexico border in recent weeks, with lawmakers blaming different administrations for why the crisis is happening in the first place. Uh, Texas Republican Joaquin Castro, who led the group of House Democratic lawmakers to Carrizo Springs, Texas, blamed former President Donald Trump, so Democratic Texas representative, I said Republican, sorry, uh, blamed President Donald Trump for the inhumane conditions in which unaccompanied minors are being detained. We need to be clear about something. President Biden inherited a situation where the previous administration had sought to dismantle the infrastructure for processing asylum seekers and settling asylum seekers in the United States. He said after touring a migrant processing facility managed by the Department of Health and Human Service. It was an administration that was run in many ways on these issues by Stephen Miller, referring to a senior White House policy advisor for Trump known for his hardline views on immigration. Castro adds, During the pandemic, the Trump administration took advantage of the fact and sought to expel every single person who was coming to to the United States to seek asylum. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn of Texas, who led a delegation of 17 Republican senators to a tour to tour a U.S. Custom and Border Protection facility in Donna, reportedly overwhelmed with the number of unaccompanied minors, blamed the Biden administration for the inhumane conditions the minors are being held in. Two groups highlighted the division between Democratic and Republican lawmakers on immigration and how to handle the influx of unaccompanied minors flooding the border. President Joe Biden committed to making immigration reform legislation a priority of his administration, but Congress has been unable to garner enough bipartisan support to pass any legislation to change the country's immigration system. So what do you do when you can't can't garner enough support in Senate? Uh, you sign executive orders. I mean, that's kind of been... His, his mantra so far. Senator Lindsey Graham slammed Democrats for blaming the Trump administration, saying he believes the Biden administration is solely to blame for the conditions at the migrant processing facility. When they say this is a Trump problem, they're lying. This is a problem of their own making. What else I, have I learned? Joe Biden, the president, had the problem wor- made the problem worse yesterday. It was a nightmare press conference. He told everyone, don't worry, we got crowded facilities. We're going to build 5,000 more beds in Texas at a military base. So how does that play in Central America? They're going to expand the number of people they can take, he said. Cruz said Biden ended ending the migrant protection protocol enforced by the Trump administration is the reason why there's a crisis at the border. The Biden administration is taking people who are testing positive for COVID-19 and locking them in cages side by side again. And he goes on to say, this is inhumane and it's wrong. It's it's ridiculous, the back and forth, because this was the same thing everyone on the left was screaming about Trump and everybody on the right was screaming, oh, you're you're over exaggerating this. This isn't these aren't cages. These are facilities. And then now to flip and. The right is now saying uh, he's locking them in cages uh, side by side, and it's inhumane. And I'm sure the left is saying, oh, you're taking this out of um, proportion. He's building facilities. He's, um, these aren't cages. It, it's such a freaking shit sling constantly. And it's no wonder why people can't, 
people like us, like me, like Bill, like probably most of our listeners, don't trust jack shit on either side anymore. It's because of shit like this, where one instance, one side is slinging shit at the other side. The other side is like, no, you're, you're completely wrong. This isn't happening at all. And then two seconds later, the other side picks up that same shit, doesn't even get their own shit, picks up the same shit and slings it back. And says, no, you're doing this wrong. The other side's like, no, you're blowing this out of proportion. So who's right and who's wrong? Who's telling the truth? Who's not? I do believe there's a border crisis. What I think, just like everything else that's being blasted all over the news, like all these shootings all of a sudden coming up, I'm not saying that they they didn't happen. I'm saying shootings happen all the time. Shootings, there was one in Philadelphia that they made national news that some people were shot in Philadelphia. I didn't read the article because I'm already getting sick of hearing about it, which is sad. But I guarantee you there's shootings in Philadelphia all the time. There's shootings in Chicago all the fucking time that don't make national headlines. There's been a border crisis going on for a long time. The only reason it's getting making national headlines now is because we want policy changes. So we're going to make these bigger than we made them before. I'm not saying bigger than they are. I'm saying we're making them bigger than we made them before because we want policy change. We want Joe Biden to realize that there is some serious pressure here. There's so many shootings going on. There's so much problem at the border, whether it's Biden's fault or Trump's fault, who knows. You got to do something and Congress isn't going to do anything about it because there's never there's not a chance that they're ever going to get 60% of the vote on any policy that runs through Congress. I'm surprised. I'm well, the only reason I guess I take that back. I'm not surprised. The only reason that the stimulus package got pushed through is because they only needed a 51% majority for for budgeting type issues. They don't need the 60% to surpass the filibuster or whatever it is. Whatever that policy is. They don't need that 60%. Any vote, any policy change that's going to require that 60% majority is not going to go anywhere because no side is going to budge because that's how our government fucking works. So this is just giving more power, more more push to President Biden and his fucking pen to pick up that pen and sign executive orders on immigration control, pick up his uh, pen and sign um, executive orders on gun rights, all this stuff. That's That's all that's going to come out of this is he's going to seize more control because... Everybody is getting enraged about the things that they're being told to get enraged with. There's getting pressure put on the president to actually do something about it. And Congress isn't going to change ever. Biden should know that. He was in Congress for fu- for fucking 50 years. He he knows <laughs> that nothing's going to get accomplished. Not with a, a 50-50 split with the vice president being the 51st vote in Senate. He knows nothing's going to get passed. So putting that pressure on Biden to actually make some changes is, I mean, that's the only way things get done. And um, 
<laughs> that's the only way, like I said, that Biden can even show that he's even in charge here because he's not doing a good job of looking like the strong leader that uh, the greatest country in the world supposedly has. That's about all the time I have for this week. I am over my time. I didn't have Bill here keeping track of my time, so um, I'm going to get out of here. This is your weekend wrap-up. Again, make sure you check out Run Your Mouth Coffee at rymcoffee.com. Promo code BREAKTHEBELL for 10% off your order and free shipping. Definitely be back here Monday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, to uh, hear the interview with Carrie Sloan, gun rights activist, um, women's activist, Second Amendment activist, constitutional activist, all these things. She She's a promoter of all the things we promote. So um, be back here for that interview because it's going to be fun. And, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like we're going to have a good time there. So uh, be back here tomorrow night at 7 Central Time. Share it around. Get all over social media. Share it around. Let's, let's try to get some audience participation on this one. Get some call-ins. Ask Carrie some questions. Otherwise, um, I'm going to let you go for the week. Uh, so... Have a great rest of your Sunday. I'm really bad at these outros, but I'll see you next time. Bye. The Break the Bell podcast is brought to you by you. So pat yourself on the back because without you, we would be talking to ourselves. A special thanks to our Patreon members, Remzo and Justin. A shout out to our sponsors, Goulash Media. On the run with Remzo W. Martinez Podcast and Van Zot Media. If you'd like to help support us, visit patreon.com slash breakthebell or buy our garbage at breakthebell.bigcartel.com. Get back here next time and let us continue to invade your ear holes and as always, never stop talking. <laughs>